Welcome to episode eight of Days of Roar, Detroit Tiger podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorosh. I am here with Detroit Free Press beat writer Evan Petzold. We're going to go over this past week with the Detroit Tigers. Ev, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing all right, Mark. Uh, obviously, as we record on, on Sundays, I just got back from Oriole Park at Camden Yards and uh, watched the Tigers squander one in the bottom of the 10th. Game ended with a sack bunt from Taryn Vavra and advanced the runner to third base. Adam Frazier entered as a, as a pinch runner, the free extra inning runner. On second base to start, moves up to third, wild pitch from Mason Engler, and uh, you know, Frazier scores to end the game. Tigers get walked off for the second time in three days. They get swept by the Baltimore Orioles. They lose their fourth game in a row. Things aren't looking too hot for them right now. Um, I think we both can agree on that. And we got a lot to dive into, a lot to dig into, and a lot to talk about because there's a lot happening, and not much of it's good outside of Eduardo Rodriguez, and we'll definitely talk about him as, as well, but how have you been, Mark? I know this has been a, an interesting week for you. Uh, been pretty good, aside from uh, going to multiple doctor's appointments and having something stuck in my ear that I tried to explain to the ear, nose, and throat doctor when I went the first time that there was some, something stuck in my ear. And he looked inside my ear and told me there was nothing. And 10 days later, I went to Beaumont Urgent Care at 13 in Woodward, and they pulled something out of my ear. Uh, It's good to know that the medical profession is taking good care of me, but we did eventually get there, Uh, (laughs) which was pretty interesting. And problem solved. Yeah, just, you know, uh, I think word of the wise, if you think something's a matter, don't give in so easily because there was something a matter, even though three doctors told me there wasn't. So uh, we got that worked out. I feel a lot better. We're good to go. I'd also like to kick off the podcast with my personal apology to uh, Jordan McKinstry. I did not think you could hit a lick. And now I'm sure that uh, the Houston Astros are scouting you. you. I want to apologize to you. I want to apologize to your pets. I want to apologize to your bat. I want to apologize to your family. Uh, I'd like to apologize to your luggage. Pretty much anything that you lay hands on or touch, I, I want to go on record as apologizing to Zach McKinstry, to Homer Week, and you're obviously uh, probably at the top of the pile right now for possible All-Star birth. You know, w- what's your thoughts about that, Up? Yeah, I need to apologize to Zach McKinstry, too. Um, Zach, please don't go back and listen a few episodes ago when I absolutely buried you. Um, let, let's just be honest, I did. And this guy has now moved up to hitting in the five spot in the Tigers lineup, which I think tells you a lot about where this lineup is at right now and where this offense is at if Zach McKinstry is hitting five for you. And that's not to take anything away from you, Zach, but the point is the guys around you that ain't producing – but yeah, I mean, Zach, Zach McKinstry's hitting 256 coming out of Sunday. He's got a 797 OPS, two homers, a handful of doubles, and he controls the strike zone for the most part. I think his at-bats are pretty solid kind of across the board, and he's earning himself some more playing time. I know it's only 39 at-bats, only 15 games, but Zach McKinstry has been a bright spot for the Tigers, and there haven't been many bright spots. Like I mentioned, Eduardo Rodriguez is one. 
The bullpen maybe is two. Michael Lorenzen's bounce back was three. Um, but in terms of the offense, Zach McKinstry's on an island, man. He is on an island. Well, as long as we're going to spout a few pieces of data, we will let everybody know that uh, number one on the Detroit Tigers OPS list is one Jakey Rogers at 9-11. Fantastic Cur- behind the plate. Fantastic. Cur- currently leading the team. <laughs> with a batting average of 258 and an OBP of 395, he is just an offensive juggernaut. <laughs> we we will not we don't need to discuss how well he's played defensively, so good. How, how he's handled pitchers, and uh, you know, I, I for all those that keep clamoring for him to play every day, uh, Jake Rogers is never going to play every day. But is he going to is he going to catch a hundred games? Yes. Okay, I'm. You know, by the way, Eric Haas hitting 250. Eric Haas also has a slugging percentage of 292. And if you had that in your lotto tickets for the week, uh, you're a better man than me because it basically says that Eric Haas has two extra base hits this year, both doubles uh, out of his 12 hits, and that is far from what we expect from Eric Haas, but. Let's let's get back a little bit to the anemic offense. A couple other things I want to bring up is, you know, the Tigers have scored 60 runs. That's 12 runs less than the 29th best team in baseball. The level of anemic offensive play, situational hitting. Before today, they had a runners in scoring position batting average of 198. They were two for 19 today. Um, so I got to think they're down below 190. And, you know, I, I think they're pretty much, you know, they're getting what they deserve about the way they're playing. I mean, just in general, we'll, we'll get back to the offense, but Look, this is the major leagues, and just like we discussed in the first weekend series against Tampa, who basically are, you know, who are, although they are 19-3 and three right now uh, and leverage every mistake everyone's making, they leveraged every mistake the Tigers made. But you cannot play baseball the way the Tigers play baseball and expect to win baseball games. Today was a very winnable game. They should have won one to nothing. Basically handed the game to the Orioles. They did not pick up a nubbed ground ball that, you know, Chase and Shreve did not pick up. Akil Badu was not paying close enough attention to who was on first base for Baltimore, who arguably may be the fastest base runner in baseball. You know, Jorge Mateo, he made, a, he made a throw to the cutoff man that, reminded me of, I don't know what it reminded me of, but let's just say for a Major League Baseball player, it was embarrassing, and when you leverage it into the situation that was required, it was really embarrassing. Um, And then, you know, you lost the game on arguably a pass ball. You could call it a wild pitch and call it whatever you want, but um, the Tigers didn't execute anything remotely resembling winning caliber baseball. They scored four runs this weekend and they don't do things that, you know, lead them to win baseball games. It's been going on for a very long time. You want to blame the manager. I think you're being foolish about blaming the manager. Once you're between the lines, 
It's the players. So, I mean, you sat and watched this for three days in person. You're down in the room. What What's kind of the flavor of, you know, what people are thinking in the locker room and what's the frustration level of? First off, Mark, you're giving them too much credit. You said four runs this weekend. It was only three runs oh, this weekend. Excuse me. But, I mean, that that just speaks to how, how poor it is and how poor the way they're playing. Um, 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position in Sunday's game. Weren't able to do anything with runners in scoring position in Saturday's game. Uh, Friday's game, you know, was, was just as lifeless. You know, the, the Tigers were doing some good things when they were beating the Giants and they had some big walk-off hits late. And I said in the press box, I think it was after the second, or maybe it was that, yeah, after the second walk-off um, against the Giants before that third game got postponed because of the rain. I said, man, you know, the, the walk-offs are great, but is that sustainable? Like, can you really beat teams just by winning on walk-offs? And then they go and they play those two games against Cleveland last week, and and it was a 4-3 to three winning game one and a one nothing winning game two. And I kind of walked away from that saying, you know, man, that 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 almost isn't enough. You know, I mean, you gotta you gotta be beating teams, right? You gotta be scoring runs, and you have to be beating teams. And you know, lo and behold, they lose in the series finale to Cleveland, and then they drop three straight to the Orioles, losing two to one on Friday, five to one on Saturday, and two to one on Sunday, and they get walked off twice in three games. The vibes aren't good right now. The vibes aren't good. Um, I think everyone's doing their best to stay positive. I mean, you have a guy like Spencer Torkelson who we can dig into who's trying to stay as positive as he can. He's been super aggressive at the plate. I think his plate discipline and his approach has suffered because of that. I think his swing has has improved. But he's trying to stay positive. He, he's talking confident. We just really haven't seen the results yet. Riley Green knows what he, he is struggling with. I don't know if he knows how to fix it, but he knows what he's struggling with. He understands that they're attacking him in and he is unable to pull the ball to right field. He knows what's happening. He realizes that he's not hitting, and he knows that if the Tigers are going to win, he needs to be hitting. You have guys like Nick Maton, who was sat for Sunday's game because he has not been producing. He had the walk-off homer against the Giants on April 14th, and he has not gotten a hit since then. One, he played oh, in every oh, game. 0 oh for 21. 0 oh for 21. And he was pulled off the leadoff spot, replaced with Akil Badu today. He'll be back in there against the Brewers for the series opener on Monday. But that's just kind of an example of like, if your leadoff hitter is 0 for 21, what are you doing? Like that, 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 that almost speaks to just how bad it is as well. If your leadoff hitter isn't getting on base and he ain't hitting the ball, your offense isn't going to be very productive. And that's kind of been the story. It's just not many runners on base, too many missed opportunities. They've let guys off the hook left and right. Um, I mean, they're, they're making guys that shouldn't, shouldn't pitch well they're making him look like they're aces kyle gibson on saturday mark looked like he was an ace he looked like he he looked so good and that's a pitcher that teams will feast on and he doesn't strike a ton of guys out and he had 11 strikeouts against the tigers it's the first the first inning saturday was you know a microcosm of what this team is and And that torkelson at bat was just a crime. It was a crime. You know, when you're in the major leagues and you have resources that, you know, normal people, when you're thinking about how to play baseball, it's so much more sophisticated than anything anybody can understand. They know 
you know, exactly how anybody is going to pitch them, how anybody's going to pitch them in certain circumstances, locations, sequence, pitch mix, and they needed to at least, at worst, after Friday night, come away with a run and to be, to put up an at bat that I, I understand that he wanted to do damage there. He wanted to pitch inside and he wanted to do damage. But what does Kyle Gibson do, Mark? Down and away, down and away, down and away to righties. Spins the ball away. And, you know, Torkelson needed to hit, do what he did today. Needed to hit Mm -hmm. a super weak-looking fly ball to right field and get a run in. They needed to run that inning. And then you would have taken your chances with the hitter that was coming up behind you to see if they could add on. And that was Zach McKinstry, who's been swinging it hot. It just screams the level of immaturity of of how they execute and play. You know, baseball often is like chess, and you you make one move to beget the next move. The Tigers play a very immature, poorly executed brand of baseball. You talk about leadoff, you know, how, how leadoff men are producing uh, prior to today's game. The Detroit Tigers leadoff men for the year through 20 games had a batting average of 161, an OBP of 218, and a slugging percentage of 210, uh, a 428 OPS, and a 45 OPS plus. So when you, you're it's terrible. Into it, yeah. So if your intuition was their leadoff men, are struggling on the year, you'd be pretty accurate. So when Tiger hitters are hitting with zero out, I, I think with zero out, their their batting average is 163. So, you know, it, it we can continue to go on and on and on about the futility of the Detroit Tigers offense, but, you know, it's... It's a crime. It went on so much last year, and now it's going on again. And you have almost an entirely new cast of players. You have new coaching, and you had hoped you'd address the issues. But in you know, unfortunately, at least through these first twenty games. Uh, nothing's really changed. They're the worst offensive team in baseball, and. You know, as somebody who's usually pretty sophisticated about having some suggestions about what to do, I'm not sure exactly what they can do. Uh, they have a bunch of 4A players until they prove differently. And if you think just shuffling guys up and down from AAA is an answer, I've, Look said, at this Tyler Nevin. I've said this numerous times. Tyler Nevin was hitting 517 at Toledo. He's one for 16. He will work the count, but progressively as time's gone on, he's you know hitting the ball less hard in every at bat. And obviously there's a big difference between hitting 92, 93 mile an hour fastballs in hitting zones and 95 to 97 mile an hour fastballs in hitting zones because he's late and he's not squaring the baseball. So do I think that Akil Badu and Tyler Nevin should be a little concerned about their 
their play and, you know, exactly what's transpiring with them as players. Yeah, I'd, I'd be a little nervous. They're on their second and third opportunities to be productive or to make plays that contribute to winning. And they, you know, keep repeating basic, you know, fundamental play play mistakes or lack of production that you're expecting major leaguers to do. So do I think you're going to see Justin Henry Malloy soon? Yeah, probably. Am I, agree. Am, I, am I excited that he'll do better than Tyler Nevin? I think you'd be foolish to think that things will be much different because major league pitching is far more difficult than AAA pitching. Would I like to see Parker Meadows up here soon? Am I happy he's gotten hits off left-handed pitchers three, you know, three hits the last two days? Absolutely. Do I think he'd get eaten alive the way he's swinging in Toledo right now if they brought him up? Absolutely. I think it'd be a mistake to bring him up. So, you know, if you're waiting for the, the shuttle of players to come and save us, I don't think anybody's coming to save everybody. Do I think some people are going to get some opportunities? Yeah, I do. I think they're going to get some opportunities pretty quickly. But, you know, unless players up here start playing better, you're going to keep getting what you're getting, and you're looking at a team that's going to struggle to win 60 games the way they're playing. And that's what's frustrating is what else can you do, right? If you're A.J. Hinch, what else can you do? I mean, this is the roster that you were given. These are the players that you were given, and it ultimately comes down to to what the players do on the field. I, I mean, there's only so much that A.J. can do. Um, there's only so much that his coaching staff can do. I mean, look, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, It's a really hard question to answer, and shuffling players obviously you know, isn't the, the secret formula to success. Maybe you have a guy come up and, it seems like this never happens with the Tigers, but maybe someone gets hot for a minute and, and sparks some life into into the team, and you know maybe get some rolling a little bit. But I, I don't think that one guy is going to be enough to cure the deficiencies up and down this lineup. They, 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 there are problems everywhere. Javier Baez, who missed Sunday's game with a, a swollen you know middle finger on his left hand because he slid into first base and kind of bent it backwards in Saturday's game. Javier Baez is hitting 203 with a 500 OPS. He still hasn't hit a home run yet, Mark. He still hasn't hit a home run. The guy that you signed to hit 30 dongs a year has not hit a home run. Like, that's a, that's a problem. That's a problem. And he played and well this week, by the way. He did. No, he did. No, he did. Look, he did. He play, he, he's played better, and, and he played well coming off the benching. Most definitely, he worked some walks, surprisingly, and you know, had a had a clutch hit in one of the in one of the games and putting up better at bats, not swinging as much outside of the strike zone. All good things, but when you get a mistake, you have to pound it. You have to take it and you have to put it over the wall. Spencer Torkelson has talked about that too. I mean, we re- I really want to dive into to what he's doing. I think there's positives and, and negatives to look at, but he's talked about you know it, you got to hit mistakes. You got to hit mistakes. You know we. We only got a couple mistakes against Kyle Gibson, and we just didn't hit him. Well, you got to hit him. It's the big leagues. You're not going to get a lot of mistakes, but when you do, you got to hit him. And isn't that what separates, you know, isn't that what separates AAA from the big leagues, from 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 good to great, from bad to good? I mean, all, all those kind of separators, isn't it your ability to hit those mistakes and how often you can do it as a hitter? Isn't that what it's about? If you're waiting for big league pitchers to make a mistake so you can get a hit, you're probably not going to have a long career. 
you you need to learn how to hit good pitches hard different places if you're wait you know yeah well, that's, that's an approach thing for sure so you know i i think that's that's a pretty immature attitude to have about how to hit well so i want i wanted to go over a couple things to lend some context so here's a question for you Ab. what position do you think has been the most offensively productive position of of all their eight eight position nine if you include dh what what position's been the most productive what position has been the most productive mm-hmm. from 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 a data standpoint what what offensively what's been the most productive position i'm gonna go catcher but i think it's close catcher spot on catchers are hitting 250 collectively, 250, 324, 391, 715 OPS, 111 OPS plus. So 11% better than league average. It is the only position that is above league average for the Tigers. Let's go over a couple other positions. First base, 608 OPS, 59 OPS plus. Second base, where Jordan McKinstry plays, uh, they are at 219, 265, 328 for a 593 OPS and a 71 OPS plus. But here's the coup de grace of positions. At third base, their third baseman collectively are hitting... They are seven for 68, hitting 103 uh, with a 208 OBP and a 235 slug and a 25 OPS. Jammer Uh, Candelario has a uh, 104 OPS plus. Just want to drop that in there. There you go. Uh, At shortstop. I know. We can debate on that later. Yeah. yeah. At shortstop, uh, they are 203, 250, 243, a 38. OPS plus. Uh, left field is a 69 OPS plus. Center field is an 89 OPS plus where Riley Green plays. And uh, right field is an 85 OPS plus. At DH, pitchers would probably be faring better than the Tiger DHs. Tiger DHs on the year before Sunday, 9 for 67. Uh, hitting 134 collectively, 234 OBP, 224 slug, and a 28 OPS. So just, just amazing futility numbers by position for the Detroit Tigers offense. Up and down. Up and down. So Outside of catcher. Look. You know, as much as we love Riley Green and we've detailed his issues here, and I almost feel like we're, you know, harping on this way too much. But if Riley Green was on a good team, Riley Green would probably be hitting seventh or eighth the way he's hitting. So it might be good for him because he'd have less pressure on him. Spencer Torkelson would also be hitting even lower than he is in the Tiger lineup or maybe even be at AAA. And for those of you that think Spencer Torkelson should be at AAA, let me just say Spencer Spencer Torkelson would not 
likely get very much better at AAA. He's not going to face pitchers who are going to challenge what his issues are. And, you know, he may put up some numbers, make all you guys feel better, but I don't think he's going to get better as a player. But, you know, the Tigers are futile. I don't know if they need a seance. I don't know if they need somebody to burn incense. I'm not really sure what to do anymore. But this has now been going on for 182 games, if we include last year. And they've changed hitting coaches. They've changed players. Uh, the only thing they haven't changed is the owner. And the last time I looked, the owner didn't know how to hit. So I'm not exactly sure what to suggest to improve the circumstances. And it really makes watching baseball not very fun. You know, are you? You know, it's not not too much fun watching them score three runs in a weekend, is it? Of what if they're just not that good? I mean, what if Spencer Torkelson just isn't that good? What if Riley Green just isn't that good? I mean, these guys can be good players. We've seen their tools in small samples, and we've seen spurts of it. But neither of those guys have really put together games where they've been really good consistently over and over and over, and and you feel really good about their at-bats every time they step up to the box. I know a lot of the season kind of you know depends on what those guys are going to do. That's your future. Those are guys that you drafted to be cornerstones. I mean, look, it's a it's a one one pick and a one five pick. Um, but what if those guys just aren't that good? What if, what if Javi Baez just isn't isn't very good anymore? And it's kind of at this point now where his career kind of goes downhill from here. What if we never see Austin Meadows again? Well, and what if Kerry t- Carpenter is the, the best thing you got going for you right now? And and he's been struggling recently. Like, what yeah. if that's just what if that's just the reality of the situation, Mark? Because you're right. Not only is it this year, it was last year too, and it was a lot of the same players having a lot of the same issues. Yeah, I I, I have I have an answer on this, but I want to take a break, and we'll be back in a second. All right, let's get back to it. So, I have a question for you. Scott Harris promised a few things when he came here. He he promised strike zone domination. He promised calculated risk. He, he promised a few things. But so far, you have a new staff. And as far as hitting goes, pitching-wise, pretty much the same staff except for Robin London. Let's tip our hat, and we're going to come back to it in a second. They They've really improved the quality of pitching over the course of the first 20 games. It's gotten better each week. Even a a dismal, dismal-looking bullpen has improved considerably. Their starting staff has progressively gotten better each turn through you know, the rotation. So hats off to those guys. They always seem to be able to make you know chicken soup out of uh, chicken scratch. And I'm so mad that I don't get to swear anymore. However, hitting-wise, you have an entirely new staff. You had the worst performing offense in baseball last year. And I want to ask you, because it's only fair, and yes, I understand it's early, but who've they made better? I'm just asking, because it's their job to make people better. So at what point in time you got to start asking yourself questions? Do they have bad talent? Is their process bad? 
but a coaching staff's job is to prepare their players, ex- you know, explain their flaws, and to try to help them improve. And offensively, who's improving? I- I'm just asking. You got an answer for me? Crickets. I got nobody. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got yeah. nothing. I got nothing for you, Mark. Like, that's the problem is that we haven't seen anybody take a step forward. I thought, now look, I think Torkelson had some better at-bats um, as the series against the Orioles went along. And I think it was kind of after his second at-bat in Saturday's game. So from the third at-bat to the fourth, and then also in Sunday's game, I thought those at-bats were better. I don't know if they went over something with him and kind of kind of broke down and said, hey, look, they're just pitching you away. Maybe you should like stop swinging at pitches that are away and outside of the zone. I don't know if it's as simple as that. I mean, that was kind of one one small example. But in terms of like a big picture, making somebody better, um, Zach McKinstry is really all I got. And I guess when they got him, uh, Sky Harris said that there were going to be systems in place to uh, help him become a better baseball player and a better hitter um, in particular. And so far, that has happened. But outside of Zach McKinstry, I, I got nothing for you. I have absolutely nothing for you. I, Jake Rogers was pretty much self-made. And that's not even I mean, his hitting coach is Doug Lotta, and he does some of his own stuff there. That's that's a Jake thing. I don't think that's a Tigers thing. And really, outside of that, yeah, I got nothing. I mean, I, I, I tweeted a pretty long list of Spencer Torkelson's career statistics going into today's game. He had a career batting average of 203, almost 500 plate appearances, his walk rate prior to walking in each of the last two games was 2.7 which, like. which was 2.7% this year was over 9 last year he's he's a much better hitter with a much more sustainable swing this year his his x xba and his x slug numbers are you know expected batting average expected slugging are actually more decent than his production is but I, I haven't found his approach to be real evolved. Hopefully that will improve. But, you know, in general, it I hate to keep harping on how terrible everything is, but it when you score three three runs in a weekend, you, you know, have a five game winning streak and then turn around and just lose four in a row. Four in a row where you're borderline not competitive in any game and you keep finding ways to lose i i i have a joke i have something called gettle g-e-t-l you know what gettle means break it down good enough to lose so when you tell me you played okay my answer is you played good enough to lose okay so i'd rather play sloppy and win than good enough to lose and the tigers keep finding ways to lose they keep wasting. You, you had somebody that retired the first 20 hitters today. You lost. I, I mean, that's just unconscionable. Yeah, it almost, flirt, I mean, your guy, Eduardo Rodriguez, flirts with a perfect game and you're not able to, to get the job done. You're not able to give him anything. You had runners on base in the first, second, and third inning. You had opportunities to score and you gave him nothing. Like, I, and I know, I know, it, it, I know we're, we're harping on it. We're harping on it pretty hard. But what else is there to say? Like, what what else is there to say? We can only talk about Zach McKinstry for so long, Mark. Look, I know in the last couple weeks I've been progressively more critical of Scott Harris. 
But look, getting rid of 19 players on your 40, man, if you know a little bit about baseball and you know about the caliber of, of players that were on their 40, almost any reasonably intelligent baseball analyst could have figured out 15 guys to blow off the Tigers 40. I mean, that it didn't take a genius. I admire the fact he did it, but it, it didn't take a genius to do it. The, the proof, the real strategy, the real talent evaluation, the real acumen was in building a roster that might have some surprises of productivity, maybe some things that people had overlooked. Maybe you saw a guy that had a skill like Tampa does five times a year that hadn't been emphasized enough and you learned how to play him against the right pitching or pitch him against or, or emphasize a specific pitch and get productivity that other teams didn't because they didn't use them correctly. But who have they done that with? But that's I mean, what they tried to do, though. That's what they tried to do with Nick Maton and, and Matt Veerling. It's, it's, the problem is that the success rate is no good. That's part of my point, which is, look, I'm not mad that they didn't sign Heimer Candelario. I wouldn't have signed him for that much money in a walk year either. And, you know, to be honest with you, Heimer's doing okay, but his barrel rate's down and he's not walking. And No, he's not. I, I, I think the sustainability of what he's doing isn't real good. So, I mean, did I want Heimer Candelario on this team? Yeah, I think you would have been, you know, as frustrated with him as you were last year. So I'm, I'm not going to go there. My, my point is, who are they making better? Who did he add to the team that makes them better? And I, I asked that. And, and the other question I have, it's you're 20 games in. Scott's had one, maybe two press conferences. He doesn't really talk to you guys on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And they're getting their ass beat. So my question starts becoming, where's Scott? How come he's not talking to anybody? How come he doesn't have anything to say? You, it, it feels kind of like you're hiding. It, it, there hasn't been a lot of communications with the fans. Doesn't have a GM in place. Haven't had many moves really work out. Where are you? Okay. When you're the boss and things aren't going well, you don't get to hide. And I know that's being mean, but that's just the truth. You're in a sport that depends on the public for support, for revenue, for interactivity. You cannot hide. Okay. And I. It sucks I just, for AJ Hinch. I mean, he just has to, AJ Hinch just has to take it day after day after day. Day after day after day after day. I know. Day. It's the players, it's AJ. Um, and, and hat tip to them, like all last year and, and so far this year, I mean, they're, they're great. They, they do it. They stand up there. They answer the questions. The questions are tough because it's the same thing kind of over and over again. There's only so much you can say at a certain point. But, yeah, it's interesting that you have that take on Scott. Do you feel like that's kind of how maybe general fans are kind of viewing it, or is that more of just your insight on, the, on, on that topic? I don't think fans have thought about it yet. I think that's my take. But, you know, I'm a baseball doctor. You know, I'm not a patient. So I, I'm trying to understand what's going on here a little bit. I, I think fans are owed not necessarily an explanation, but they are 
owed a discussion. And, you know, he can say all he wants that he wasn't here for the last seven years tolerating this futility. But the fans have been, and it's kind of insensitive if he's going to hide behind the idea that he wasn't here. And let's be really blunt. He has not done a lot that's worked. All right. He he turned over 19 spaces on the 40. He hamstrung himself on the 40 for some relievers that he can't really bring up because he has to DFA people to do it. The hitters he brought in have been a dismal failure. So you tell well, me, Mark, it's been, it's been 20 games though. And I get it. I mean, for me, honestly, a seven and, and 13 record after 20 games is somewhat impressive actually with this roster. And I think that's where I kind of, you know, early in the pod talked about the walk-offs and you know, you're not always going to get those breaks. So I, I think this is, is, is just an easily See, I, a, a, a five win team, I, but I disagree with that. Ev. Here's why is Cleveland any good right now? <laughs> good is point. Boston any, is Boston any good right now? Good point. Is San Francisco any good? Nope. Did you see anything from Baltimore that, although they have a lot of interesting, talented players, what did I mean? I think Gunnar Henderson hit the ball hard once this weekend. Is, you know, Baltimore wasn't anything insurmountable this weekend, were they? And and no, and their and well, and their pitchers too. I mean, their pitchers gave the Tigers so many opportunities to score. And the Tigers just did nothing with those opportunities. So the idea that there were opportunities for the Tigers to score five runs in every game, to be completely honest, outside of the one game where they had the the two hits. But so the idea that we should feel fortunate that they're seven and thirteen—I mean, they're not playing real good teams or teams that are better than this. That they're not playing very well right now. So and they still had some games that could have gone either way, though. So I guess that's kind of my point. And I don't think it gets much better. I don't I don't see answers or solutions, you know, knocking at the door. Justin Henry Malloy is only one guy. Parker Meadows is only one guy. And we've we've done this over and over and over again, have we not? And Cole I mean, Keith it was, is it, only it, one guy. One but guy. My, my my answer is I have seen the enemy, and the enemy is me. Okay. It's uh you know, the the Detroit Tigers. We didn't expect them to compete for a playoff spot, but I hoped that they would be feistier, that they would play a major league caliber brand of baseball, that their execution would be better. And that what was they Scott, would what was Scott, Mark, what was Scott Harris's goal in spring training? It was to play competitive I, baseball as deep into the season as possible. Well, it's April, it's April 23rd. 23rd. It's April 23rd. Right. Are we playing I mean, how deep into the sea? I mean, look, the only positive spin I can put on this right now is once upon a time, there was a manager named A.J. Hinch. And two seasons ago, after 33 games, the Detroit Tigers were 9-24. and 24. And all of a sudden, they started playing a scrappier brand of baseball. And they finished the season 68 and 61. So is there time to turn it around? Hell yeah. Absolutely. I'm not sure if they have better players than that team. They might. They got a lot of players that we've been led to believe are young and have upside and are feeling their way. But it's show me, don't tell me. Show me, don't tell me. So... 
you know, do we sound frustrated and mean tonight? They're seven and 13 and they've scored 60 runs. When do you expect us to be nice to them? About what? Okay. <laughs> it's, it's come on. You know, I, I know, you know, from time to time, listen, I hope that players are not listening to us this week. I wouldn't want to listen. Okay. Because what would you expect? We're not doing our job if we're not discussing this. All right. And who's culpable? Everybody's culpable. The only two, the funny thing is, is that you would think if a team was this bad, you would yell and scream about the manager. The manager's the last person I'm mad at right now. The manager and the pitching coaches. Everybody else, they've been bad. They're not, they're not like, you know, besides Jakey Rogers. In one week of Zach McKinstry, excuse me, Jordan McKinstry, who, who's been good? I'm not hearing an answer because the answer is nobody. Okay. Not Their on pitcher, the offense. Not on the offense. Their pitchers. We do need to get into the pitching, though. We do. Yeah, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about it. So we don't need to get too deep into Eduardo Rodriguez because, you know, he's been great. You know what? Let's take a break and we're going to come back and talk about pitching. We need to get you a drink of water. Let's talk a little bit about the pitching. It is one of the only bright spots we have to discuss. And talk to me a little bit about Eduardo. You talked to him after the game, and I'm sure he had a few interesting things to say. Let's just break it down kind of for starters. Eduardo Rodriguez... 2.32 ERA through five starts, five walks and 25 strikeouts in 31 innings. He is currently pitching his way off the Detroit Tigers. And I think that's um, probably the best thing for him at this point. He has the opt out in his contract after this season and the way he's going right now, if he just keeps doing what he's doing and stays healthy, um, there's no doubt the Tigers are going to try their best and do everything in their power to move him for some prospects at the trade deadline And if he continues doing what he's doing, there are going to be a lot of playoff contenders who want Eduardo Rodriguez. And I'm sure Eduardo Rodriguez wants to, uh, to, to, to kind of say goodbye to the Detroit Tigers and move on to a different team. That's going to be pitching in the postseason and it has an opportunity to actually do something. And he's been great. He has been fantastic. He has not gotten a lot of run support, but he has handled that with class. I, I do commend him for that. I think it would be pretty easy in his position, look, when you take a perfect game into the seventh inning and you give it up with two outs in the seventh and the score is still 0-0, um, it wouldn't be hard to, to kind of dog on your teammates for giving you no run support. Eduardo didn't do that. Eduardo talked about knowing that the offense is going to score runs at some point, and then he gave them credit for scoring runs in the eighth inning of, of Sunday's game. And, yeah, look, I mean, this guy's on one right now. Um, he had his best start of his career, he said, on, on Sunday. He also pitched extremely well against the Cleveland Guardians in the doubleheader. And in that game, it was eight scoreless innings, completing the eighth inning for just a fourth time in his career. Four hits, zero walks, 10 strikeouts. And he was just as good, if not better, today against the Baltimore Orioles. He's allowed one run in 21 innings. That's a 0.43 ERA over his past three starts. He currently has a 17-inning scoreless streak. He's doing everything that you want. The pitches are moving. The location is spot on. It's all the chef's kiss. 
All right. That's, that's what it comes down to. It is, it's as good as it gets. It's as good as it gets. I love what I'm seeing from Eduardo Rodriguez right now. That's the biggest positive. It's 16 swing and misses against the Orioles, five fastballs, six cutters, five changeups. He's putting them right where he wants them. He's dotting them. He's pitching really well right now. Um, another interesting stat too, just to kind of dig into the significance of what he's doing. He became the first Tigers pitcher to post back-to-back starts with at least seven shutout innings, zero walks, and at least six strikeouts. The last MLB pitcher to do so was Jacob deGrom in 2019. So he's doing something that hasn't been done for a handful of years and something that's never been done in Tigers history. So you got to tip your cap to Eduardo. He's doing everything that he can, and uh, he's pitching his way off the Tigers. Good for him. Well, the question, I don't think there's much question he's pitching his way off the Tigers. The question is, how savvy of a deal will they make when the time comes? Because that's always my biggest question in the last seven years. Anytime there was an opportunity to make a deal. Small sample, but I trust Scott Harris to go get a prospect. I mean, you saw what I mean. It's small sample because it's only one trade that he's really done that for. And that's going out and getting Justin Henry Malloy, who's been tearing it up for AAA Toledo this season. Also through, through 20 games traded Joe Jimenez for, for Jay Hen and Alavila doesn't pull that move off. I'll tell you that much. I, I I trust Scott Harris making making trades, making moves, and evaluating some of that that minor league talent. I think. I mean, again, it's it's kind of too soon to tell, but you're right though. This could be the Eduardo Rodriguez trade could be one of the first kind of real looks into who does Scott Harris get back and kind of what does that player become? Because if Erod keeps this up, and if he continues to pitch like an ace. Um, there are teams that are going to be willing to give up quite a lot for a pitcher like that heading into, uh, you know, heading into August, September and, and October and into the postseason. And, and they're only he only be if he continues to throw well. And I look, he's not going to continue to throw 17, no. 17 scoreless innings all the time. But if he's reliably competitive almost every start as the year drags on those guys are coveted and there should be plenty of prospect you know asset value that they can likely land you know as far as scott harris's capacity to do a good job with that we're going to find out i i'm not going to tell you i'm confident or lacking in confidence i don't think we have a track record to go on and we're right. going to find out we're going to find well, out well look if the tigers too i mean if the tigers want to market eduardo rodriguez as a number two for a playoff contender or something like that i mean he, he better be pitching like a number two because other teams um you know they're they're smart teams too they'll call bullshit on that so he's got to keep doing what he's doing if you really want to market him as that type of a pitcher i think the opportunity is going to be there to do it if he if he keeps this up and and i, I will tell you Teams will start having those discussions, you know, as soon as the third week in May, they'll start at least making phone calls because, you know, teams that want to win, they're not going to sit back and wait and get into bidding wars. They're going to start being proactive. All right. We had a Michael Lorenzen start the other day that was very good, used all four pitches look really sharp and useful. I mean, what would you make of the start the other day? I thought he was really good. It sounded, it seemed like just from talking to him that he felt like he was able to simplify his attack. And that just kind of started with throwing strikes and trying to be in the zone as much as possible. 
Um, that's something that he's kind of struggled with at times. And he, and he broke it down for me in a way in which if you go back and look, um, I think we got all, we all got to remember that um, he had a, he's had a pretty bad walk rate almost his entire career. It was a 10.7% walk rate last season. That was 130th among 134 starting pitchers with at least 90 innings pitched. Um, this season, he has walked three of 39 batters for a 7.7% walk rate. So the walks have improved. And he talked about it's not, it's not like a problem throwing strikes. It's not like he's struggling to you know, pitch inside the strike zone throughout the entire game. He'll just lose it for a hitter or two at different points. And that's, that, that's the problem. It's not like this is a guy who's just spraying all the time and he's like wildly effective. It's more of, hey, he's inside the zone. He's inside the zone. He's inside the zone. Boom, he loses it. We saw that a little bit. Um, in, in both of his starts, but in that first outing that he had, it was a lot of the, the home runs that were um, creating problems for him. It was the damage. This time around against the Orioles, he did a really good job of limiting that damage. I thought he was in the zone well. He threw out all of his pitches um, that he has. He even left some in the tank, which I thought was actually pretty impressive. So he throws a ton of pitches. That's the thing, too, and, and variations of certain pitches and things like that. And he left some in the tank and didn't use them until his final inning. He threw 68 pitches. The Tigers didn't send him back out there uh, for the sixth inning. He planned to use some of those pitches in the sixth, didn't get that opportunity. It was actually interesting because he threw you know, 79 pitches in his first start, only threw 68 in the second start. A.J. Hinch probably just didn't want him to go through that order the third time because there are some dangerous hitters up top. I get it. You know, A.J. talked about it being a health thing, coming back from injury, wanted to make sure that you keep him as fresh as possible and, and he's still being built back up. But he threw more pitches in his first start than his second start. I think that had a little bit more to do with going the third time through against some of those Orioles hitters. But all in all, it was good. He, he used changeups, he used fastballs, he used sliders, he used cutters, he used sinkers, he used sweepers, and he used one curveball. So he tossed everything out there, and it was as fresh and as, as good as we've seen him. Fastball was up to 97 and a half. All good things. Cutter was really good. Yeah. Fast, fastball really firm, especially his last inning. And Saw good things. I think, you know, Mike Lorenzen is like every pitcher on earth. If his com- fastball command is good, he's going to be pretty good. If it's not, it's going to get spotty. But I think he's shown enough in multiple starts, especially last year, that, you know, he can go off on a run, five, six really good starts. And his stuff is more than good enough to get people out. All right, let's talk on Joey Wentz. You know, you and I are both pretty big Joey Wentz lovers, but got to be blunt about it. Uh, as great as his stuff looked, and Mark Gorash was DMing Evan Petzold after the first six hitters because, holy smokes, was he good for the first six hitters. Everything was and working. Everything working. And people think the Bach created some issues for him. I didn't necessarily agree with that. I asked him about um, it. He said no, because he came back with the punch out right after that. And he was getting ahead of guys, but just couldn't make that big pitch. And yeah. the inning got away from him. Weirdly, his fastball is normally a very good pitch for him. And the game that he really struggled, he had almost no fastball command. And yesterday, his fastball command really started to degrade, and he seemed a little reluctant to throw it. His changeup was absolutely filthy. His cutter was good enough. You know, I think I said this to you, and look, I like Eric Haas. Not the greatest defensive catcher on earth, but 
there are times pitchers really need, especially young pitchers, they need their catcher to lead them out of the fire would be the best way I would explain it. And in uh, Wentz's really tough inning yesterday, he needed Eric Haas to lead him out of the fire. And how they ended up throwing fastball to Ramon Urias in that spot was just was just a puzzle to me. And I give Eric Haas as much, you know, responsibility for what happened to Joey Wentz as I do Joey Wentz. You just couldn't throw that pitch there. Well, I think huge. even the Adley, even the Adley Rutschman at bat too, though, and that that's what put the Orioles up one nothing. That was I a mean, good he, he pitch had, with had, a bad well, outcome. It, it, you're right, but again, to to go fastball to Adley Rutschman there in a one two count, I, I understand what you're trying to do. You want to go up. He was able to battle it off. He didn't hit the ball hard. He got just enough of it. But I, I, I don't. But I don't know. Is that the right call? You think so? Maybe. I, 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 I you know, I, don't, I think he hit the ball like seventy four miles. <laughs> He didn't hit it hard over, at all. Right. He flipped it over the infield. I mean, would I have liked to have seen him get it down more? Yeah. I mean, listen, Joey Wentz, stuff. Jo- jo- Joey Wentz was not blameless in what occurred yesterday, to say the least. But I just think that his stuff was better than the outcome. And I still want to see how Joey Wentz can do. If he can be tough mentally and get through these mistakes, it shows how difficult it is to be successful in the major leagues. And, you know, it's a very fine line between success and failure, but his stuff is very good. And when you're building a team, I think he's the type of arm you need to give opportunity to. So we'll, we'll see what happens. He's going to have to get more people out though. These shorts have, starts have been short lately. It's not something that makes your manager real happy. So, you know, hopefully he gets at least a little more length and has a little bit more success. You got Matthew Boyd going tomorrow against Milwaukee. He's been solid for his first three starts. Got another one coming tomorrow. I'll be interested to see you know, how he does. Milwaukee's, I think, 15-7. and seven. Very good baseball team, starting to get beset by injuries a little bit. Really, really tough at home. You know, what What do you think about going in, you know, to play the Brewers, who are a very good baseball team? Yeah, they're playing good ball right now. It's going to be Matthew Boyd on Monday, Spencer Turnbull on Tuesday, and then Michael Lorenzen on Wednesday. And those are the three pitchers for that series before the Tigers get back to Comerica Park. I do want to say on Joey Wentz, I, I love his stuff. The problem, in, in my opinion, um, and this kind of dates back to some of his earlier outings as well, but first it's 16 and two-thirds innings and in, in four starts, like you mentioned but it's also eight walks in 16 and two thirds innings. That's, that's gotta be cleaned up. If you can eliminate some of those walks, um, that, that would be nice to see. I think Matthew Boyd though, is kind of in the same boat where it's 14 innings and three starts so far, nine walks and 11 strikeouts. Somebody that obviously can be a strikeout pitcher needs to limit the damage, but also just needs to throw strikes and needs to not nibble. The problem is, is, is when you nibble and you're around the zone and you aren't trusting your stuff in the zone. You aren't just attacking guys. You're going to put runners on base and you're going to get burned by that. And I think that's, that's an issue that, that Matthew Boyd has. And that's an issue that you cannot have when you're facing a team like the Brewers, the way that they're playing right now and some of the bats that they have in their lineup. You can't nibble. Yeah. You got to attack at all times. And I think Erod's a good example for both those two. Perfect example. Yeah. And you got to attack and you got to locate, do those two things. 
you know, good stuff's a bonus, but it's not a necessity. Locations, you know, a lot of guys make a lot of money not throwing 95. So I think, you know, we need to hope that both Wentz and Boyd, a little more length, a little more attack in, in what they're doing. I also wanted to touch a little bit, we're almost a month into the season, about what's going on with the AL Central. We got one team over 500, which is the Twins. I, I still like the Twins. I think they're very good. I think they have an underrated starting staff. And historically, they score some runs. They're not exactly banging the heck out of the baseball, but they're at least before today's game, one game over 500. Cleveland's struggling mightily, as we saw this week. Chicago has been an absolute abysmal nightmare there. I think they're <laughs> 7 and 13 before today. And it's just like chaos going on there. I think Jerry Reinsdorf has probably got a you know, he's got a curse on that team now. It's seven and fifteen now, Mark. Seven and fifteen. They got way too many good players on that team to be that bad. And uh probably people are gonna get fired here soon because Jerry Reinstorf for sure isn't gonna take responsibility for <laughs> the atmosphere was that's that's going on on the south side there. So I would imagine some people are gonna get fired there soon. And uh, Casey is bad again. So, you know, it's it's a really terrible division right now. But it's wide uh, open, though, and I think that's partially why, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but I think that's partially why Scott Harris took this job and saw this as an opportunity to build a team and to build a team that can compete and, and get to the postseason because for as bad as the Tigers have played, and I know it's so early, it feels dumb to even and talk about this, but they're four games back of, of Minnesota. And they played as bad as they played. Like, like this, this division is pretty much wide open. I think Minnesota and, and Cleveland are going to be up there at the top, of course. But what if Chicago never gets turned around? What if it's just a dumpster fire and it, and it, and it, and it rots and burns? That, that very well could happen. They have a lot of older players on that team. Um, they don't have a ton of young talent that's kind of being, being passed through there to supplement some of the veteran guys. You know, what, what if things just go south there and it doesn't work out? You know, could Detroit really finish as as the third best team in this division? I don't think so, but but maybe. And that that that's kind of a fascinating way of looking at it, I guess yeah. I would say. It's a lot I, I different look- than it's a lot different than being in the AL East or um or, or or being in the NL East. It's a lot or in the NL West. It's a lot yeah. different. I, I look at it differently. This division right now is so bad. If you're the third best team in the division, you suck. So, yeah, the but you're still pretty, right there. The bar's pretty low to be competitive in this division, and if you can't be more competitive than we are, we're not very good. Um, I want to give a shout out, at least acknowledge a few things. Uh, if you guys had some pretty big weeks in the minor leagues, Cole Keith, I don't know if he made it out the entire week. I think he was, you know, felt like he was about fourteen for seventeen. He wasn't quite that, but his average is up to 350, 356. 356. He had he had a streak where he reached base nine out of ten times. I think he hit two homers. If he didn't hit two, he might have hit three. Um, and in general, he's got three. Yeah, of them. And in general, uh, it was almost impossible to get out. I don't it, now if the Tigers were to promote Jahan, there's a possibility. <laughs> They would promote Keith behind him. Um, and I think that 
Cole Keith is probably pretty much on the fast track. If he keeps hitting, they're not going to keep him in the minor leagues very long, especially with the offensive futility and his approach at the same time. Cole, Cole, Cole Keith can hit the baseball, period. But we've been saying it, though. We've been saying it. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Uh you know, Jay Hen was really, really good at Toledo this week. I, I think I looked yesterday as a 530 on base. He also hit three homers this week. Uh, Ryan Kreidler with three homers in three days, I think. At least he had one yesterday and today. I thought he had three, though, maybe. So I, I don't expect Ryan Kreidler to be in the minor leagues very long. I will say is futile as Jonathan Scope has looked. He did sting the ball three times today. So they're going to buy him a few more days here. But if I were Jonathan Scope, I would uh, try to reach base a few times here soon. Or, you know, your time as a Detroit Tiger will be coming to an end quickly. But, yeah, in the minor, you know, as far as pitching performances, uh, Wilmer Flores had four scoreless. I watched a breakout of Ty Madden yesterday. It looked virtually nothing like his first outing. It was, I mean, he... He gave up no earned runs in four innings yesterday, but he didn't throw the fastball in the zone and get too many people to miss it. He was quite erratic. It was pretty unimpressive. And I just think the Tigers are really struggling to find starting pitchers in their minor league system. It was good to see Flores have a bounce back. He had a about, you know, a sixteen ERA in his first few starts and hopefully he can put together a few good outings after some really, really shockingly terrible outings but you know in the minor leagues guys you're expecting to do well are doing pretty well and i'm gonna assume we're gonna see a few of them here pretty soon would you not agree something's got to change you can't do the same thing over and over again and expect different results so that's the definition of insanity and at some point yeah i mean you you got to start making moves and i think it it probably starts with justin henry malloy at at some point um i'm not sure exactly when that's going to happen but if it doesn't happen here to end April, I would think it'd have to happen at least sometime in the first or second week of May. One, that's a guy that Scott Harris acquired. And, you know, obviously Scott Harris wants to give him the opportunity and talked about, you know, Justin Henry Malloy dictating his own development and that he's done that to this point in his career. And now he's going to do that moving forward. That's one of the first things that he said when he acquired him back at the winter meetings this past offseason. And Justin Henry Malloy, look at what he's doing, watch the video, eye test numbers, everything. Um, it basically tells you that that guy's ready for an opportunity in the big leagues, at least to get an opportunity and, and see what he can do. I mean, when you're hitting 391 with 20 walks and 17 strikeouts in 20 games, oh yeah, and you also chipped in four doubles, three home runs, so you're showing some pop in the bat. You're controlling the strike zone. In, that, in his case, he's completely dominating the strike zone, let's just call it like it is, and you're putting the ball in play. I, I don't really know what else you need to do in AAA Toledo. Um, I think it, it kind of becomes pointless at some point to keep a guy down when he's playing the way that he's playing. And when your offense in the big leagues is as bad as it is, it's about time for Jay Hen in Detroit. It's it's about time for him to, uh, to, to, to get with the Tigers and, and get some at-bats under his belt. All right. Well, to recap, we, we had a two and four week. They've lost four games in a row on the Milwaukee to face a really good Milwaukee team. We'll be back here next week. Same bad time, same bad station. I'd like to remind everybody to please rate, share, and subscribe. 
please leave comments, even if they're super mean and you want to tell me how terrible I am. I'm all into it. Uh, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or at thefreep.com. Uh, you can always find us if you want to look up an Evan Pets old article. You got something coming out tomorrow on what, Tyler and Evan? Spencer Torkelson. Spencer Torkelson. That'll be out there on Monday. So you, you folks can read that on Monday. So when the pod drops, the story will already be out there. All right. I'd like to thank our executive producers, uh, sports editor Kirk Crawford and, uh, and Jeanette Delgado. I'd like to thank our regular producer, Robin Chan, who always makes us look and sound much better than we are. And also, as usual, like to thank my beautiful grandson, Braden Michael Gorash. I'd like to thank Savannah. And uh, once again, take a look at Tiger Minor League Report. I started a little something there, start paying attention. These guys are traveling the country. They could use a little help. Did a little something for them. And uh, I want to say, hopefully we'll have a better week next week than we had this week. I hope everybody stays safe and Peace.